Welcome to Cats by 90, a podcast dedicated to you, the Big Blue Nation, basketball, football, and the latest recruiting news. If it's Kentucky sports, then it's here on Cats by 90. Now, from SB Nation's A Sea of Blue, your hosts, Big Blue Drew and Aaron Gershon. Welcome to the Cats by 90 podcast brought to you by SB Nation's A Sea of Blue. Big Blue Drew and Aaron Gershon here today. Tons of news. It's Thursday, December 10th. So we got quite a bit of uh, football recaps to do. Basketball is in action again on Saturday. But we just jump into it, Aaron. We didn't talk any football at all really the last episode because we were were so heated about basketball. And and look where we're at a week later. But lots of stuff going on with football, man. Um, I wanted to just jump right in. So, you know, were you surprised on Sunday when Eddie Grant and Darren Henshaw were let go. Yeah, no, I wasn't surprised. I, I can't say I was surprised. It seemed like it was an inevitable move, just given, I mean, one fa- one stat that just jumps right out at you and is really alarming, to be honest, is Kentucky averaged 311 yards per game, and that ranks second to last in Power 5, only behind Kansas, which I believe they're 0-9, and then uh, Syracuse, who finished their season 1-10. and 10. So that's not company uh, you want to be in. And a lot of that is because they just weren't able to throw the ball and find creative ways to fool opposing offenses. And I don't want to put all the blame on Eddie because I think uh, a lot of that was personnel issue. I just don't think they have enough talent at receiver. I think that's got to be a priority this offseason to lock up the recruits you have at that position and maybe hit the transfer market there. But um, – you know, the balance just wasn't there enough, and the play calling uh, was subpar at points. Uh, Eddie's obviously had a great five-year run here. It's going to be five straight bowls, uh, assuming Kentucky gets invited this year, which it sounds like they will. So um, hard to fault him too much, but I, I think it's I think it's time for that decision to be made, and it sounds like it was mutually uh, decided upon. So, yeah, it wasn't a huge surprise, but uh, it's still – Eddie's such a good guy. He's always been great with the media and all that. So upset to see him go, but I do think for the longevity and the future of this program, it was the right decision. Yeah, I definitely don't think it was a shock to most people. I know that it was kind of assumed that there were going to be some changes on Sunday. I'm sure it wasn't a surprise to him either, and, you know, I'm – quite positive it would have left amicable, you know, between him and Mark Stoops and kind of the university because now, Aaron, it's just so strange because, like, you talk about that, like, one of the worst offenses in Power Five and stuff, but then in the same sentence, you can talk about, you know, how Kentucky football has accomplished more over the last, you know, four or five years than anybody's lifetime probably that's listening to this. So it's just such a weird, weird kind of thing to happen to where it was clear that a change needed to be made, but at the same time, there's just such tremendous success you know, that he had that he could hang his hat on, too. So this really weird dynamic was kind of a, a change to an approach on one side of the ball. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And I think they – I think you got to credit both Grand. Last year, Grand deserves a ton of credit. Obviously, having a talent like Lynn Bowden makes the job easier. But he was basically able to change the offensive playbook in a week. I mean, uh, they went from Sawyer to Lynn Bowden. I guess they had the week off at a bye week. So, really, two weeks to change the entire offense and was able to do it. And, obviously, Kentucky goes 6-2 and two with Lynn at quarterback running those plays. So, uh, you got to give him a lot of credit there. He definitely was aided by some pretty – great players I mean Benny Snell Lynn Bowden two of the best ever to do it um great offensive line obviously um so yes it's definitely a mix 
um, of good and bad with Eddie Grand. Um, but this year when the personnel wasn't the greatest, uh, I think the play calling issues kind of reared its ugly head a little worse than ever. And uh, like Mark Stoops said, you got to get more creative and got to be more exciting if you want recruits to come here. Well, one thing that was next on my list to talk about was there is a recruit that's considering coming to Kentucky. So Christian Lewis, basically their top wide receiver target in that class, um, you know, it's kind of hyping up his decision. I think it's coming in the next few days. So by all indications, it looks like he's coming to Kentucky. So that's a big one, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, he's verbally committed. So you just got to get him to sign that paperwork on our, the early signing period day, which I believe is the 16th and uh, early next week. Yeah, you got to lock him up because he already lost – um, I forgot exactly. I forgot the name of the player that did the commit a three-star receiver who, uh, and you have to assume a lot of that uh, was due to what he's just watching on TV with this Kentucky team, just having trouble throwing the ball around. So, uh, yeah, definitely got to lock up Lewis, lock up the other receivers. Uh, Dakel Crowdis, obviously, the big name there out of Lexington. Uh, got to lock him up. Got to got to get these playmakers in because the there just aren't enough on this Kentucky, Kentucky roster to compete in the SEC. That is uh, only going to get better. Um, especially the East is on it's on the rise. Missouri has had a really nice year under Eli Drinkwitz, and they're going to just get better uh, with him recruiting over there in Columbia. Um, you got South Carolina hiring a new coach in Frank Beamer, uh, who's a really really good recruiter from the state of South Carolina. Um, we'll see about Tennessee uh, and uh, Vandy's Vandy, but you you can't risk falling behind uh, the Missouris and South Carolinas that you worked so hard to finally get ahead of. Kind of random, but did did you see? And I really don't. This probably isn't something to make fun at, even though I'm laughing. But did you see this week where the Vandy um, announcer? I don't even know what he's the is it football? I guess football. Um, basically, had such a horrible showing in a coach's show on TV that um, he ended up, like, checking into rehab and just, like, completely disconnecting with that because it went so bad. I haven't heard any audio or anything. Again, it's probably not something really to make light of. I'm glad he's maybe getting the help that he needs. But really really bizarre story out of Vandy. Yeah, that is bizarre. I honestly hadn't seen that. But you got to wonder what the topic is. There's not much I get. I mean, Vandy brought in, you know, the female kicker, Sarah Fuller, which is a great story. I'm not trying to take anything away from her, but I think part of it was to get some positive attention around that program because uh, there it's is been a little... like nothing but negative since that happened. Yeah. They had, they fired the coach. I think they maybe yep. had a game postponed. It's just been like ever since that happened, it seems like that, you know, things have been going downhill, but yep. we're talking way too much Vandy sports right now. Who cares? <laughs> They're the worst team on bowl stuff. So Aaron, what about, um, so, obviously, Mark Stoops did say that Kentucky would accept an invite to a bowl, which I appreciate and like whether or not you think they deserve to go to one or not. I always think that's kind of weak when teams turn it down for any reason. So, Kentucky, clearly, I mean, if they're going to try to change directions, it wouldn't be bad to get some practices in and play in a bowl. I think Kentucky Sports Radio is reporting, you know, Music City Bowl, Liberty Bowl. So, you're hearing anything about the bowl there and you have a, a preference one way or the other? I think I think they're really going to – obviously, Kentucky hasn't played themselves in any opportunity to play in anything prestigious like they were in the Citrus Bowl a few years ago. And I think at least what I've read is that for the, uh, for the most part, they're going to try to keep them pretty geographically close, obviously, to limit travel during uh, the pandemic that's still going on here. So I, I, I agree with the KSR report. I would think it's going to be either the Music City, which is obviously short trip down to Nashville or – the Liberty Bowl, which is uh, about two hours further uh, in Tennessee and Memphis there. So 
Uh, both would be it would be interesting matchups. There's a lot of interesting opponents that have been projected there. So either way, a bonus, like you said, a bonus football game would be great. Uh, a matchup I'd really love to see would be uh, a Liberty Bowl game against West Virginia. Uh, kind of an old school. Obviously, proximity, they're close to one another. They haven't played quite a bit. Neil Brown, uh, the former UK offense coordinator, doing a really good job as that coach up there in Morgantown. So I think that'd be a fun game. But yeah, there are definitely some intriguing matchups uh, if they landed one of those two bowl games. Uh, and uh, the, like you said, the practices are key. And just playing in that playoff-like atmosphere will get these players pumped up to play. And it'll be a good experience for them to build on. What's it going to look like, Aaron, if, you know, in that bowl game? I mean, is, it, is the offense just going to be kind of totally trying to reinvent themselves, I guess. I mean, what is the, what does the future look like in your opinion? I mean, is Bo Allen going to get the reins of this? I think over time, I would assume that's kind of the, the thought process ideally. And um, we've mentioned, you know, a few of those receivers coming in specifically not getting snatched up by, you know, the Alabamas and stuff at the, at the end of the game like this, which is always important for Kentucky. And especially this year with, you know, like you said, even with the commitments because of the product that they're seeing is just, you know, not something they want to, insert themselves in so what do you think man the offense like if they played in a bowl and then kind of beyond that I think Vince Marrow is going to get the chance to call the shots I really do <laughs> I mean they're obviously not going to have a new coordinator come in and call plays for the uh for a bowl game um I wouldn't be surprised if they make a hire by uh the early signing period to, for recruiting uh edge or whatnot but um uh, there's no way that uh, obviously you're going to bring him in to call plays for that game and uh, Vince Mara is the highest offensive coach left. I mean, I know he's a recruiting guy mostly, but tight end position, I mean, you're not going to give it to the receivers coach who's in his first year with the program. You're not going to give it to the offensive line uh, helper right now uh, coming in to, uh, you know, replace John Schlarman for the rest of the season. Uh, he's only been here a couple weeks. So I, my guess is Vince Mara would get to call the plays. And I, I, it depends as far as personnel goes. I think if Terry Wilson does opt into play, which – I don't know. From his tone, seems like he might just be done with this, and he might not, but we'll see. But I would think if Terry Wilson uh, is going to play, he'll get to play the full game just because it's the last game of his career. I mean, if they really at this point wanted to get more time for Bo and Joey Gatewood, you would have seen them in in the fourth quarter against South Carolina last week. But obviously, Stoops wanted to get Wilson there um, for his last home game. So I wouldn't be surprised if Stoops is the same thing. And you see Wilson play the full game if uh, they do – uh, if he does opt to play in it, but uh, at other positions um, where you don't have a lot of seniors, especially uh, in the defensive backfield, the defensive line, a couple of linebacker spots, I think you are going to see young players get them that experience and continue the reps. That's the one thing that this COVID year has allowed. There's a blanket waiver for everybody. So the true freshmen have gotten to play meaningful snaps and it won't count against them going forward. So guys like Justin Rogers, who we finally saw him make a sack, uh, his first career sack on uh, last Saturday, probably get some extra run, especially a lot of the young DBs like Carrington Valentine, Vido Tisdale, um, would get a lot of playing time given Kelvin uh, Joseph uh, opting out to get an extra few weeks, an extra, I don't even know why he opted out with the NFL draft stuff. I, I mean, I found that kind of lame, but uh, definitely young guys are going to play. I just don't know about the quarterback spot if Terry opts in. Right, right. So what about as far as Aaron, you, you think that they could potentially do that ball? I know I heard Mark Stoops talking, when he first initially announced, you know, said they would accept the bowl earlier this week, he kind of made mention like there was maybe a few players that were a little indecisive or maybe not down to play in a bowl game. And I know he used kind of the terminology of like, um, you know, that is kind of need time to heal up mentally and physically. So 
Is there, have you heard anything? Is there any guys that you wouldn't be surprised maybe if they don't play? That's a good question. I, I haven't. I think really for me, the one guy is Terry Wilson, just not based on anything I've heard, but just listening to him talk during the postgame press conference um, after the South Carolina win. Uh, every other player who was asked about it, A.J. Rose, Drake Jackson with the, with the radio broadcast, Boogie Watson, um, all were, you know, they said they want to play. Phil Hoskins if, th- th- during that week. Uh, a lot of, everybody that's been asked uh, with the media pressers via Zoom, other than Terry Wilson, have said they want to play in a bowl game. So if the opportunity was given to them. So that's the one guy to keep an eye on for me. Uh, just given everything he's been through, he might just be done with it, and it's hard to blame him. If so, um, but other than that, uh, I, I don't expect anyone to opt out. Obviously, um, <laughs> it's kind of just been really. Stoops has really done a good job for whatever reason getting these guys. I don't think he's convincing them. I don't think he would tell them one way or another uh, to make a decision they think is best for themselves. But I think he's done a good job of keeping the motivation there for guys to want to play these bowl games. Obviously, Lynn Bowden did not need to play last year. He, I mean, he risked getting ejected before a game even started and played it and obviously put together one of the bowl, best bowl game appearances of all time, regardless of school. Uh, same thing with Benny Snell and Josh Allen the year before. Had incredible games on games uh, that a lot of guys around the country wouldn't even play in. Yeah, I'd be surprised. I think most everybody, you know, wants to play in is going to play. And it's just funny to me. I don't even know if we should be calling these bowls. They should just be like an extra game at the end of the season. We know that LSU, you know, opted out of their bowl game with their horrible season that they're having. So it just seems really weird with Kentucky's record to be talking about a bowl game, even though they play 10 SEC games. But who knows, you know, it's always great to end the season on a high note. I always say that with college football. It's like the only sport where what – 20, 30 teams end on a high note and a win. I mean, pretty much every other sport, it's kind of like the process of elimination and you usually end your season on a loss or you don't even make the postseason or whatever. So college football is kind of unique in that way. Um, So it'll be good. It's always good for programs. And then, you know, the extra practice, right, is a big deal. Yeah, no, the practices are really vital for this uh, team because it is – and I think that's why Stoops wants it so bad. This team next year is going to be incredibly young. Um, I've heard, as far as senior goes, Devontae Robinson seems like he'll be back uh, at defensive back there. And then I've heard Matt Ruffalo, the kicker, is likely going to come back uh, using the blanket waiver. And then the other two names to watch, who neither are obviously sold on coming back, would be the tight end, Justin Rigg, and then Josh Ali, who I've heard is likely to play college football next year, but it might not be at Kentucky. There's a chance he transfers out. So UK is going to try to keep him over the offseason and maybe the offense coordinator hire will help that. But other than that, uh, I mean, that means you're going to lose your entire offensive line. Uh, assuming Darian Kennard, uh really talented junior, also goes to the NFL, which I think he will. Uh, you're losing four out of five guys on the offensive line. You're losing your quarterback, of course, Terry Wilson. You're losing A.J. Rose, possibly your, your number one tight end. I think Keaton Upshaw's fine there, but still your number one tight end from this year and last year, possibly your number one receiver from this year. And then on the defensive side of the ball, Quentin Bohanna, Phil Hoskins, Boogie Watson, um, Kelvin Joseph, obviously uh, opting out and leaving for the NFL a year early. And um, Brandon Eccles, I mean, and Max Duffy even. I mean, the list of how many guys are going is crazy. So it's going to be a really young team. And any extra practice time you can get, especially because we don't know exactly what the spring is going to hold. Is March going to be a normal, you know, 
spring football season uh, amid the pandemic? Are they going to push through it now with, you know, the upgrades and testing and what we know about the virus? Or are they going to just put everything on pause and not let the football kids come back till the summer? So uh, there's mm-hmm. a lot of questions. So these practices are critical. Yep, and then I didn't want to talk about it because it's almost 3 o'clock, and at 5 o'clock I know there was a big SEC announcement coming up. We have really no idea what it is. It could be something with the TV. Who knows? It could be COVID protocols. Um, it's going to be stale very quick, Aaron, but do you have any idea what it, what the um, announcement at 5 might be from Greg Sankey and the SEC? Yep, it's nothing exciting. It says the SEC amount announcement scheduled for 6 p.m. Eastern relates to the conference's television deal. Uh, yeah. So basically, ESPN is taking the CVS 330 game. Gotcha. Away. That's all. Okay. Yeah, I saw that that uh, the the shareholders meeting or something today for Disney. So that was a nice <laughs> tie in there. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yep. But, all right, man. Let's take a quick break, and then we're going to come back in. And unfortunately, we're going to talk basketball for a little <laughs> bit. So thanks for uh, listening to Cats by Ninety podcast. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Cats by 90 podcast brought to you by SB Nations, the Sea of Blue. Big Blue Drew, Aaron Gershon are here today. And, man, Aaron, last week we talked about Kentucky basketball. I was more fired up than I usually am. I was really on Calipari way harder than I normally am. And it wasn't so much, like, long-term stress I had. It was really just, like, in the moment I was kind of pissed off. Like, you know, Kentucky should have been playing a lot better than they are. They definitely should have been shooting the ball better than they were. So, just kind of some general frustration, but I never really had a you know a big, big major concern um, as far as this team kind of not finding their way. But now one week removed from those comments, I absolutely have those feelings like just an abysmal performance against Georgia Tech. Like it's just becoming so apparent, Aaron, that there's been Cal teams that could you know not play their best and play poorly and still beat teams or definitely hang in there with teams. And it's just becoming evident this team's going to have to play their best to really kind of, you know, hang in there with any team that's playing well right now. And that goes true for Notre Dame, too. I mean, they just played a really good Ohio State team. So if they come in and play the way that they did um, recently, then they're going to – it's going to be the same result as Sunday. Fortunately, you're totally right. I, I mean, I mean, I'm shocked with how – Sunday's game against Georgia Tech went. I mean, I said anything that ended with a W was all Kentucky needed to do on Sunday. I didn't care if they blew them out of the water. Um, I was okay if the shots still weren't falling, if they were quality, and if the turnovers that were down. Well, the shots, actually, if you look at the numbers, I believe they shot the ball a lot better, but they didn't have many opportunities to shoot it because they turned the ball over so damn much. So, um, at least they – And they weren't really, like, pressure shots either because, you know, the game game was pretty much out of hand, you know, that whole second half. So, it was just – it was ugly. Yeah, other than Terrence Clark really on a tear in the first half, you're right. They really weren't many pressure shots, though they were within three with, what, ten minutes to go? So I guess, I don't know. It was just a total and utter mess and letdown. And look, Georgia Tech is not very good. I mean, they lost to – you could argue they're the fourth best team in their state because you got UGA, uh, mm-hmm. and they lost to both Mercer and Georgia State. I mean, the fact that Kentucky doesn't just lose to Georgia Tech but gets wiped by them, it's the first loss uh, for Cal against the former assistant coach. I mean, that, it's just embarrassing. And the turnovers uh, are what obviously did them in the most. I think the defense was still – you know, so many – I think it was I, – I, I saw the stat today, but I forgot exactly how many transition points Georgia Tech had, but I don't know if it would have made up the difference, but it was close. To making up the difference, which I believe they lost, was it 
63. Am I off on that? Uh, I have to look up. I try to delete that from my memory. I know that's about 17 <laughs> points, I believe. 17. Though. So I think I think Georgia Tech. I might be wrong. It could be even more. But if I I think the number I saw today was they scored 16 points off turnovers. It might be even more. But my point well, is, it almost makes up the difference. So if you get rid of those turnovers, I mean, you're right there, which should be more than right there. But I, I mean. It's hard, you know, it's hard to nitpick at the defense when they actually had normal possessions because for the third straight game, when it was just a normal defensive possession without a fast break turnover, I thought the defense for the most part was fine. The the turnovers are unacceptable uh, and the shot selection is still miserable. And I, I, I guess, Cal, you know, Billy on the Big Blue Insider, Billy Rutledge, made a really good point. Yes, this non-conference schedule in comparison to what Kentucky normally plays is really tough. I mean, it's almost all these Power 5 programs, right? But but this is Kentucky we're talking about. Like, this is not Georgia Tech. This is not, uh, you know, a subpar team in the SEC like maybe uh, Texas A&M. This is Kentucky. They should be able to handle it. Uh, they, they shouldn't be losing to Richmond. They shouldn't be losing – to Georgia Tech. I, I get Kansas. Kansas is another blue blood. They're always going to be right there. And it was a three-point game. But you can't be you can't be losing to Richmond and Georgia Tech. Um, you ever really if you're Kentucky. And now you know Notre Dame, who obviously has a pretty good history, but weren't good last year. I know they're one and two this year and played a you know a tough Ohio State team uh, pretty well. But they're still Kentucky is a much better team. And there's no excuses. I mean, really, UCLA is going to be tough, too, but I th- still think Kentucky on paper should be better just because UCLA is still, you know, rebuilding that program to what it used to be or trying to. And then Louisville is not even supposed to be very good this year. So these are winnable games while they're harder than, you know, their normal first four games, which will be against Southern Illinois or Evansville. It, it, it's still – it's this is Kentucky basketball, and they're just – flailing right now yeah it's been i mean think about this georgia tech lost to mercer by double digits and then georgia state so we knew we knew georgia state i mean so they're not a good team they're they're really not i know they had some veterans and stuff but i mean that was kind of what i was trying to get out earlier is like kentucky should be able to play poorly and beat that team and at least not get beat by 17 it's just it's miserable it really has been miserable and i'm not sure what fixes it aaron because i it's just the biggest problem to me besides putting the ball in the basket with open, you know, when they're taking jump shots and stuff, is just continuity. And I don't know how long that's going to take. I mean, you're not going to be able to fix the offense in one game from what we've seen. I mean, he's going to really have to kind of find some unique ways, figure out who's going to have the ball in their hands, et cetera. But another point I wanted to land is the Terrence Clark barrage of offense there for a little bit makes me more worried, if anything, because think about how bad that game would have been if he didn't, you know, go on that heater for a few minutes. Then that would have – I mean, it would have been – horrible so to me that always makes me a little more nervous because that was kind of like one of those rare heat check games you know I think he made like three or four baskets in a row or three four or five baskets within a short stretch so it's ugly man the offense is looking really bad and it you know we really said this bad. again but they, they've had a what a, a almost a week under Camp Cal now so things need to look better on the eye test on Saturday or I'm going to be grabbing the, the red flags this time and waving them yeah, they're getting very close to that territory, unfortunately, and especially because we expect the SEC to be a lot better than, you know, historically, just given how some of these coaches like Rich Barnes and uh, Eric Musselman have come in and recruit. But, you know, 
Um, with Terrence Clark, your point there, I agree. But at the same time, I think it shows you the potential of it, of what he can do. I'm not saying that's going to be – that little stretch he went on is going to be representative of what we're going to see from him the rest of the year. That's too much to ask. But I think it shows you that he is the five-star top ten recruit that you signed, and he has the potential to play like that any given day. So I think that was a plus, just given also the way he was struggling um, the first couple games. So I was happy to see him get on a little bit of a heater. I think that – uh, with his struggles, you know, they needed to see that from him. Uh, I just worry that maybe, I know these might be overreactions, but two things. Is, Cal, is Cal's method of all these crazy freshmen, you know, signing the top class every year, which is great. We love to see these guys come in here and end up getting their names called in the NBA the next year. But is it is it working anymore? Because, I mean, look. Kentucky's obviously been to a handful of Final Fours under Cal, but haven't been to one since 2015. They own one national championship. Are those the results, for Kentucky standards, are those the results the last five years to say, uh, we haven't been to the Final Four, we've been pretty good every year, we send God knows how many guys to the NBA, but we're just not winning. Is, is the program becoming more about the NBA than it is winning? And it's, it, I can see why fans are starting to get frustrated with that. And I think the world of Cal is, I, I think most of these fans do, but it, it just feels like we're heading in that direction a little bit too much. Just the fact that who knows what last year would have been. They could have won it all last year. They, way, they played in that Florida game at the end. But it, it just seems to me that Cal's uh, almost, I don't know if it's Cal's focus or what, that the mantra is, this is one year, I got to try to do everything to put it on tape, and then I'm in the league next year. If we win, great. If not, whatever. Yeah, man, I've never been in the, so far on one side as I am right now as far as Calipari goes. And I know he's the guy for the job. I mean, I'm not at all saying that. The evidence is all there. But just as far as the product that's put on the court this year, it's just been unacceptable through these first four games. And he does make a ton of money. So you have to figure out some way from year to year. I mean, he has one of the best staffs out there that you know you're going to have shot makers from year to year, regardless of, you know, the circumstances. People going to the NBA, missing on certain guys. Like, there has to be backup plans and contingency plans. And hopefully this team, you know, has those shooters. I think Davion Mintz can still shoot the ball. I think Devin Askey is going to be able to shoot the ball when he's, you know, has his feet set. B.J. Boston, Terrence Clark are both supposed to be bona fide scorers. We've seen glimpses of it. Olivier Sarr can definitely score the ball. We know that. So I guess you would agree, Aaron. To me, it's just, it's more of a scheme thing than an ability thing. And it's just a matter of if and when they're going to figure that out. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the ability is obviously there. they they have all these top recruited guys, and they have some proven guys. I mean, Olivier Saar was a really solid player in the ACC, which is, you know, arguably still the SEC of basketball. I mean, it's just what it is out there. Um, Davion Mintz, uh, while not quite as accomplished as Saar, played some important games at Creighton, played in an NCAA tournament game. Uh, again, Jacob Topin, a guy who like, not as many minutes last year at Rhode Island, not as many big games, but, you know, the Big East is a pretty competitive conference. And he's, you know, was part of a postseason push over there. So uh, they have a mix of that. While they haven't played together and they don't have the continuity and they don't have the experience playing at Kentucky where the pressure is a lot different, um, they have the, they have a mix of young guys, a lot of them, and veteran guys who have at least played college basketball before. So uh, it is frustrating to see them not figure it out. 
Um, obviously, there's plenty of time still. I know it's four games and you lost three of them. Um, it's, but it's not like you're eliminated from the NCAA tournament yet. Uh, you have, what, 24 games or so left, assuming, you know, at least scheduled for now. So it, it, is, it is infuriating. It is confusing. But we'll see where they are Saturday. Like you said, the Camp Cal were, I think, almost a week into that. They'll be, you know, locked into that a little longer than usual because the normal semester doesn't start at UK until the end of January. So, I mean, it, it really could go either way. The ability is there, and if they put it together, they're going to be right where we thought they were in the top, you know, top 20 teams in the country, if not better, uh, and have Final Four aspirations. If not, it's going to be one of those just weird years where UK is not very good, and you're looking at a potential Nurin's the whole year where you're just not going to make the tournament altogether. What do you think happened Saturday? Do you think they look better? I mean, I know Notre Dame's definitely good enough to beat them. Um, what do you think we're talking about this time next week? I think they're going to look better in some phases. I think that – I think I was encouraged that when they had good had possessions that the shooting was a little bit better last week. I mean, I want to find the numbers to back that up, but I'm pretty confident um, Kentucky's shooting numbers were at least better uh, when they actually got to take shots, which obviously the turnovers – uh, there were a lot of them. But, yeah, I mean, you have Terrence Clark go three for four from three. B.J. Boston, three from seven, not bad. Devin Askew, one for one on his one attempt. Mintz took six threes, missed one, uh, only made one, but still uh, much much higher numbers. 42% from three is really good uh, in comparison to what they were doing. Um, shooting 45 from the field is still not as high as you want it to be, but a lot better. Um, 91 from the free throw line was really encouraging. So, all that is, I think, a good sign that once they have the right shots, they're going to start going. The talent is there. Uh, the shot-making ability is there. Um, obviously, the turnovers have to be reduced drastically. I mean, it went up from the Kansas game, I believe. So they had 20 here against Georgia. At least try to cut that in half, get it back to 10. Um, that's still a lot, but it's a lot better. Um, and then the rebounding was good again. I mean, 28 offensive rebounds. Um, Against Georgia Tech, according to the Yeah, they've yet to be out rebounded, and I don't see a team out rebounding them, honestly. No, and that's a, and you know what? That's a problem Kentucky's had the last couple yeah. of years here until really Nick Richards clicked on uh, last year when he started rolling. You know, it, he had a little bit of a slow start, but when he got going, he was, you know, the top center in the conference. So the rebounding, that's really encouraging, too. So, you know, there are signs and some numbers that prove like, this. it's not as bad as per making it out to be. It's obviously Kentucky in a one and three record. So it's going to get terrible media. And I get that. And they haven't looked very good because the turnovers are so freaking sloppy. But those numbers, I think, are a little bit encouraging. So I think if they can shoot about the same rate, maybe a little better, and the turnovers cut in half, I think they'll win just because Notre Dame's not that good. Yeah, my biggest thing is I want to see them obviously score more points. That's just the number one thing. they got to yeah. get a win. I mean, cannot lose four games in a row. No, However it happens, you got to get the win. And I'm not going to be naive anymore and just, you know, say I think they're going to come out and look a lot better and play a lot better. I guess my hope is that they do for stretches. Like there's maybe a five-minute, ten-minute, however long that stretch is where we see kind of glimpses of, of this team and what we thought it would be in the preseason. So that would excite me. To your point earlier, I'd like to see either Terrence Clark or, or B.J. Boston kind of assert themselves scoring again and, and look elite. I think that would be good for Kentucky moving forward. But ultimately, man, you just have to find a way to score more points. Hopefully being at home will help, the, you know, at least a little familiarity with staying in Lexington and playing at Rupp Arena. So 
Catch has got to get a win on Saturday, man. And if they don't, it is going to be doomsday in the bluegrass. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt about it. It really, it, it'll be very problematic to be one and four. Um, and then your next two conference games are going to be uh, the tougher ones left in Louisville and UCLA. And I mean, look, uh, UCLA is really up and coming. Um, I think they have right now would beat Kentucky, but uh, and Louisville may not be that great this year just on paper, but they're going to be fired up. They're going to want to win that game. It's been, you know, a couple ass kickings in a row now. I think three uh, in a row now. Not Last year obviously goes to overtime, but the two years before, Kentucky just dominates the game. So uh, Louisville is going to be really determined to get that one done. Um, and the way Kentucky's playing, they're not going to beat Louisville if they're playing like this. So, uh, you know, if you go one and five and head into a really daunting SEC and you also have Texas on the schedule who look really good. This finally looks like the year Shaka Smart might be taking them really far into the tournament. Uh, it's going to be a lot to ask to see um, a high-seeded tournament team like we're used to around here. The ship is already sailing for the seeding as far as where Kentucky yeah. fans are used to. So, And especially over the next week to 10 days, that's going to really be more so because there's a lot to be determined about if the SECs, how great they even are at basketball supposed to be pretty good but you know just early on there's been some some sputtering in the SEC so you, remains to be seen how many good wins are even going to be able to get in conference but man hopefully next week we're talking about a win hopefully this episode made sense we had a lot of technical difficulties so I'm going to be doing a lot of uh patching and piecing together so hopefully it made sense appreciate everyone listening a lot more people are listening now that um we're now that sports are going on specifically basketball so thank you tell your friends Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, that stuff. Follow us on Twitter at by 90 And um, I will catch up with you. Are you going to the game Saturday, Aaron? No, I'll be you're home. Just, uh, you're, what, I've been meaning to ask you that. So what is your plan? Are you are you you're graduating, right? So are you ever coming back or what? Yeah, I'll be back. Um, I have some news I haven't put out public you, <laughs> publicly yet. Oh. i got to talk to a few people. But, yeah, it's coming. Uh, I'll still be here, though. I'm not I'm not leaving uh, the podcast, leaving SB Nation, Big Blue Insider, or anything like that. Cool, man. I was wondering. I've been meaning to ask you about that. Well, all right, man. Well, we'll talk offline about all that stuff. Again, appreciate everyone listening for the Cats by 90 podcast, and we will check in next week. Thanks for listening. Make sure to follow Cats by 90 on Twitter at Cats by 90. You can also follow Aaron and Drew at agershon 99 and at Big Blue Drew 33. And remember, no matter the opponent, it's always Cats by 90.